I like music. Well, shall we talk about books? Or about Bruno? No, 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 no. <laughs> no, no, no. We should not talk about Bruno. <laughs> oh, no, why not? Jeez. All right, books. Let's talk about books. All right. Hey guys, you may have noticed that we took a bit of a break these past few weeks. Mo and I have been reevaluating what we can reasonably juggle in our lives because we both have more on our plates now than we did when we started this podcast. So, after a lot of discussion, we have decided to make this a bi monthly podcast until further notice. That is, instead of a new episode every week, we will be doing an episode every other week. Our main goal with this podcast is to share our love of books and have fun, and we feel that this is the best way to continue reaching both of those goals. All that being said, next week on March 28th, you will be getting our Patreon pick episode, which this month is The Blackbird Cafe by Heather Weber. Then on April 11th, we will be discussing Fortune's Pawn by Rachel Bach, a.k.a. Rachel Aaron, whom we love so much. And don't forget to check out our Patreon. We have all sorts of cool perks available from our mini-series and monthly episode-picking poll to bookmarks and books from our TBRs. Check out all the cool perks at patreon.com slash thebooklifepodcast. We hope you'll consider supporting us if you can, and we're incredibly grateful to all of you for listening in every week. Thank you. Speaking of thank yous, we want to send a huge thank you and shout-out to our patrons, Ronnie, the Pirate Queen, and Sam and Megan. May your problems always be fictional. Now, on with the show. Welcome back to the Book Life Podcast with your host, myself, Mo, my best friend, Abby. Tonight, we're discussing a kind of a flashback to our childhood, our first in a series of 10 books called The Merchant of Death by DJ McHale, which is a, is a series called the Pendragon series. Is that what they? Yes. And yes. So this is the first book in the Pendragon series. I have no idea when this book was published, but I can definitely tell you I read the book's between freshman year of high school and the last one I believe was published like mm, sometime in the college era so 2010 um and I love these books for sure as a teenager I have some other thoughts now as an adult so (laughs) I feel like between the ages of 14 and 33 it's been about 20 years my opinions have changed a little bit about this book yeah okay so my copy says copyright 2002. Mm. I don't think I read it until high school, so it had been out for a couple years by then. Yeah, that's accurate for me because I graduate eighth grade in 2002, and I'm entirely sure Nate, my husband, introduced these books to me, and I read them first through him, and then you got me back into them because you were like, these are great books. Look, there's more, and I'm like, oh, I've read like the first four of them. Oh, look, there's more of these, and then somehow... We read them, we read them in tandem because I remember reading the last book with you as well. Like you read it. I think you gave me the copy to read. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure. So, okay. So confession time about this series. I did not read this series in order. Um, <laughs> so I actually got the third book of this series first because I saw it in a scholastic, one of those scholastic papers that they send home. And it looked really good. And I didn't realize it was part of a series. And so I got it and I read it. And as I was reading it, I was going, huh, I feel like I am missing something. 
Like there is more to this story that I am not aware of because there might have been books before this one. You mean some dots did not make sense? Well, like, okay, everything made sense. You can read these books out of order just fine. The problem is they reference things that happened in the previous books. And you're like, oh, I feel like I should know about that. And I don't. (laughs) Well, luckily you only read the third book. So you only missed this book, which is like medieval times. And then you missed Giant Shark book. So, I mean, at least you didn't miss a lot. And the third book happens to be actually my favorite of this series. And it's apparently why I love the historical fiction fantasy genre. Like you have fantasy mixed with historical fiction. That's my absolute favorite. And that is what the third book of this series is. So like, I discovered where my love of that genre came from. <laughs> we may, we thank you book three, but however, we are talking about book one tonight, Abby. Yes. And uh, second confession of the night I didn't do a proper reread of this. I skimmed it because this is honestly my least favorite of the series and I kind of hate it. (laughs) That's all right. Sounds like my honest confession of Harry Potter book seven. I did a better job than you rereading it. I actually did qualify it. Yes, it qualified as an actual reread because I did spend enough time actually reading through it, flipping back, checking characters, checking who they belong to. And I'm like, oh yeah, okay. I remember who this is. Okay, I know what's going on. Oh, yep, mm, got it. Okay, so it's okay, Abby. Things happen. There's also a middle grade book. I definitely, there are parts of the book. For one, Mark, one of the characters has Lord's Illustrated posters on his wall. Okay, he's 14. He also has anime hentai, hentai uh, posters on his wall. And I forgot what that was. Nate was like, <laughs> you forgot what that was. And I'm like, I thought it was like Shonen Jump. He's like, no. And I was like, oh, <laughs> that's right. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know where we're going for this now. And then um, that's like that time I gave Abby a terrible book I had her read. And she was like, dear God, Mo, do you know what's in this book? And I'm like, what's in this book? I'm just so oblivious sometimes. My bad. <sighs> Mo in high school did not register anything sex related whatsoever. <laughs> Mo still does not give a crap. <laughs> That was fine. Okay. Mo likes gun and explosions. Mo might just be a guy. (laughs) Whatever. Um, So, yeah. So we run on that aspect. Where I was going with this. You lost my train of thought. Oh, yeah. And then the jargon. So there was a lot of... Mikhail is very good at writing young adult uh, vernacular. I thought he captured essentially early 2000s slang for 14-year-olds, super well. Remember, in 2002, I was basically 14. I was this age group of Courtney and Mark and um, Pendragon. Like, I totally was like, like, I jived with it. Now, as uh, an old fart person, aka just middle-aged adult, I was like, oh, God, what am I reading? Why are they talking like babies? Because they are babies, Mo. (laughs) So, yeah, definitely... Love this book. God, kind of hard to read as an adult. But I would definitely throw this book at, like, my nephew, who is 11, and be like, read this dude. This is great. You know? Yeah. Give my boys, like, another six or seven years, and I will totally try and get my oldest to read this. Like, the vernacular definitely dates it, but I don't think that's a general problem. 
No, and I don't think there was a lot of other dating. I mean, he talks about having a casino, um, C-A-S-I-O watch, which was, which was a very popular watch brand in the early mm-hmm. 2000s. And I think that reference would be lost on, per se, my nephew, who'd be like, probably would be thinking like, why is he not wearing an Apple watch or a Fitbit? But I feel like Fitbits are more for, again, old lady, you know, age versus for, (laughs) I, you know, I don't see a lot of young people wearing Fitbits, which is fine. I love my Fitbit. So there was that. Um, They mentioned a stump bike that I can roll with. That's pretty universal flashlight, Swiss army knife. So some things I felt did not transfer well. You know, if a kid is reading this, of course, they're not going to be referencing smartphones. They're not going to be referencing instant messaging. Yeah, I I can't remember if they went to the library and did any research, but they would not be doing any research really on the internet because it wasn't as prevalent then to research on the internet. You would go to the library, look up the index, look at topics and pull books from the bookshelves to learn things. So, yeah. Once again, um, kind of what happens when you're writing basically modern fiction is mm-hmm. going to get dated because you're, if you put anything in there, technology changes so fast. It, so, which is fine. I guess now it's just historical, <laughs> you know, middle age fiction. <laughs> Read about the roaring 2000s. Oh my gosh. I just realized these books are old enough now that the kids they would be aimed at had just been born when they were published. Not even. Some of them wouldn't have even been born. Huh? I mean, I remember 2002, 20 years ago. Gosh. Yeah. Thanks. I feel old now. Okay. <laughs> just so you know, that for most cases, the age of a classic car is at least 20 years old. These, these, books, are, these books are now classic cars. I'm fine with that. <laughs> and then after 40, they turn into an antique. Ah, gotcha. Or is it a vintage? No, they turn to an antique. Vintage is in. Yes. Anyway, hope you enjoyed that fact. <laughs> All right. So you got any fun facts for me? I did. Um, did you know that DJ McHale was the co-creator of the Nickelodeon show, Are You Afraid of the Dark? Hmm. Mm-hmm. So he went to school for film and he started off writing essentially what I would say is middle grade shows. That's what his niche was. That's where he wrote the, his best materials. And he really could capture the essence of a middle schooler, which makes sense as he moved into middle schooler fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, he's mm-hmm. an avid backpacker, scuba diver, and skier, which I feel like in this book, we did see some of those ski elements when Bobby and Press are riding down the sled, down the snowy mountain, you know, kind of got that vibe. Mm-hmm. I was like, cool, cool. His biggest pet peeve are the people in airports who crowd the baggage claim conveyor belt. Okay. I pulled that from an interview. <laughs> I thought that was a good fun fact about him. That's an interesting fact. Do you like it? I feel like those people are kind of lower on my list than a whole lot of others. <laughs> Apparently that's what drives him crazy. Don't crowd the conveyor belt. And then he worked as an egg picker while growing up. Like he went into the chicken coops to pick up eggs from the chickens. That was his first job. Oh, cool. Yeah, there's your fun facts of the night. Glad glad for you to join me. How about you drop the character list for this book? Should I do a summary maybe? Oh, yeah. What happened to the summary? Oh, I forgot to put it in. 
All right. Bobby Pendragon is a seemingly normal 14-year-old boy. He has a family, a home, and even Marley, his beloved dog. But there's something very special about Bobby. He's going to save the world. And not just Earth as we know it. Bobby is slowly starting to realize that life in the cosmos isn't quite what he thought it was. And before he can object, he is swept off to an alternate dimension known as Denderon, a territory inhabited by strange beings ruled by a magical tyrant and plagued by dangerous revolution. If Bobby wants to see his family again, he's going to have to accept his role as savior and accept it wholeheartedly because he is about to discover Denderon is only the beginning. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> No sound effects. Well, thank you for that lovely summary. Let me talk about characters then. All right. First off, we have the main character, Bobby Pendragon, who is a 14-year-old basketball star with a seemingly perfect life. We have Mark Diamond, Bobby's best friend, who is also 14 and a giant nerd with a stutter. We have Courtney, whose last name I cannot say, Bobby's crush, and one of the boys type of girls who's not like other girls, aka she's super athletic and she's going to kick your butt. We have Andy Mitchell, who is Mark's bully. We don't like him. We have Uncle Press, Bobby's uncle, who Bobby knows very little about, but his uncle always takes him on fun adventures, so that's okay. We have Osa, a traveler, who is also a badass warrior woman. We have Lore, Osa's daughter, also a traveler. And guess what? She's a mini badass warrior. We also have Alder, <laughs> the traveler from Dindrum. So, guys, there's your summary. There's your characters. There's your fun facts. As always, we did not spoil anything this half because we are just going to trash the book in the next half. So, you probably have not read this book. And guess what? You probably actually can just stay around and just listen to us talk about this book and see if you want to read it with your kids. Because guess what? Most of you guys who listen to podcasts are our age. So listen on, guys. Enjoy the next half today. Talk to you in a minute, guys. Hi, this is Leah Stuhler, creator and host of YA Book Chat Podcast. If you love reading young adult books and chatting about them with your friends, then head on over to my podcast and take a listen. Each episode, my guests and I chat about a different YA book. We start spoiler-free and then head into our spoiler section where we dive into the mysteries of each book. And we do it with laughs and fun along the way. You can listen to YA Book Chat on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and wherever you get your podcast and now back to the show welcome back guys and remember this half is spoilers so if you do not want the merchant of death spoiled for you pause right here go read it with your kid and then come back and talk to us and for those of you who have either read it or do not care about it being spoiled here we go let's start with favorite characters okay i'm going to just jump right into this i love mark God bless Mark. Mark is the sweetest guy. He is the guy I would have pegged in high school to hang out with, to make friends with, to like be best buzz with, because that's my kind of dude. They're maybe all, all, not all, boys are interesting in high school, put it that way. They very much are focused on the woman's anatomy, (laughs) if that's what floats their boat. And once again, Mark is a guy that is focused on a woman's anatomy. That's fine. But at least he's a sweetheart. And he's a geek. And those are two things I can totally roll with. I love that he's analytical. Hope that great that he loves math. Really, I don't actually like math. I like that he thinks things through, though, and that he brings that voice of reason for Bobby. 
And I additionally really enjoy the loyalty that Bobby and Mark share. They're really good friends with one another, even though Bobby is more popular, is a little bit more athletic. Bobby at least is pretty down to earth and he and Mark, you know, are good friends and I appreciate a good friendship. I did not feel like there was any drama. Well, there really could not be any drama between them because literally Bobby was writing him letters and then Bobby got back and passed out in their house and there was no time for drama, but mm-hmm. yeah, I don't, I, I appreciate there was no drama at all. There was no teenage drama in these books at mm-hmm. this point. Anyway, pretty sure there's some conflict at some point, mm-hmm. but I don't remember for sure. And that's okay. Yeah. There's teenage drama in some of the later yeah, books. Well, that, that's suspected. I love Courtney. but I always love a strong female. I really love the scene where she gives Mark's bully what he deserves. I'm like, yeah, girl, you take him on. Mm-hmm. And I would have put Laura on here too as well, but she's kind of, uh, she's a little too, too much for me. She's kind of a, she's not a very nice person. Like I know she's very headstrong, very much warrior, very much get this done and we're going to fight to the death. But she's also kind of, um, kind of a B, you know? Okay. So. In defense of Lore, she and Bobby come from two very different places in the world. And this book is very biased from Bobby's opinion. She was being a bee to him, but he also deserved it. I know. So I I like her. <laughs> I know, I know. And you know, you can gush about her when you get to your part. I just had to put it out there. That I'm more of a Courtney fan this book than a Lore fan. That's fair. I love Alder. <laughs> he reminds me of a Labrador. He reminds me of just this derpy, lovable, all-around good guy. Just floppy and gangly. And he's trying his best, dang it. But he doesn't know what the hell he's doing. But he's he's going to do his best, okay? I appreciate it, Alder. <laughs> you, you can't not appreciate him. He's just likable. Mm-hmm. And you can't kick a puppy. And he's a puppy, you know? Yeah. All right, Abby. What about for you? Okay. I also adored Mark. He's just an absolute sweetheart, a giant nerd, great friend. Literally the majority of this book that I actually read was for him. (laughs) Like I legitimately read a lot of his parts because I love Mark. He's what made this book bearable for me. Yeah. He's definitely that character that would have been in my friend group in high school. Like I was friends with guys in high school who were like Mark. So he would have fit in seamlessly. And so obviously I'm going to like him. I really like Courtney, but the way she is described is so cringeworthy. And don't get me wrong. I understand. I understand. It is from a 14 year old boy's perspective, both times that she's described. But that doesn't make it any less cringe. I know. I agree. (laughs) Okay. So the first time she's described is by Bobby, who has a crush on her. So she was always so perfect, but not in that unattainable, she's too good for everybody way. Gag. Like, okay, he's got a crush on her. I will let it pass. (laughs) But then... When Mark goes and meets up with her and he describes her, when it came to team sports, Courtney couldn't play with the girls. And it just talks about how amazing at sports she is and how not like other girls she is. And I'm like, 
good God. I forgot this was a not like other girls era, you know? Oh yeah. That, that, that was the theme. That was the <laughs> theme was... of these kind of books. It was so painful to read. <laughs> and I like Courtney as a character. I do. It's just, man, her descriptions are cringe. There is only cringe. There is only, there's so much cringe. I mean, you, I cannot not disagree with that at all. Like, like they're the, and when I get to Bobby, we will get to Bobby. The way Bobby talks, woo boy. I'm like, Bobby, you are really annoying. We will get dude. to Bobby. <laughs> yes. So yeah. Okay. So as I said, I really like lore. I really like a badass warrior girl and she is one. She was not at all nice to Bobby, but I really despise Bobby in this first book. So honestly, I was on her side and I really didn't care that she just was an absolute B to him. I really didn't care about that. I loved Osa. Her mother was amazing. And spoilers, I was very upset that she didn't make it to the end of this book. We knew that. I, I remember like when she came in, I was like, Oh, I remember you. You were like, she's enough of a memorable character that even though she was literally in what three fourths of the book, no, like a third. I think like half the book of a ten. Yeah, yeah, I know. But like, I love her character. Such a good character. She's such a good mom. She's such a good traveler. She's good at her job. She's just she deserved better. Mm-hmm. And then, okay. I know you put St. Dane on your least favorite character list. I have him on my favorite character list for this book because... That's perfectly fine. I'm sure you're going to tell he is a perfect villain. He is! I knew you were going to. <laughs> I knew the moment I saw St. Dane on your favorite list, I knew exactly what was going to come out of your mouth. I knew you were going to say St. Dane is one of my favorite characters because he is a great villain. You are not wrong. He's a fantastic villain. He's so sinister. His power is so cool because he can shapeshift and look like other people. And like, he's meticulous with his plans and he actually thinks them out and he infiltrates the world. And like, man, he is a villain. I can like, I have respect for him. I don't agree with his plans by any means, but I have respect for him. And especially in this first book, when I personally... I'm so yep. fed up with Bobby. I'm like, yes, St. Dane, please kill him. <laughs> there has to be somebody better than Bobby for this. Unfortunately, there is not. I know. But yeah, I, I really like St. Dane through this entire series. Because like, even at his worst, he's such a good villain. Such a good villain. I hate what he does, but he's a good villain. All right, let's move on yep. to Lee's favorite then. Well... There's this kid named Bobby who unfortunately seems to be the main character of the book. Gosh, when was another book that I also did not like the main character? I don't know what it was. It doesn't matter at this point. Oh my goodness gracious. I am just too old to be reading about hormone-driven adolescent males. I am like, you're dumb. You're dumb. You are dumb. That is all I can think about Bobby throughout the majority of the beginning of Journal One, where he's like, I got to make out with Courtney. And I'm like, ugh, ugh. Yes. that's gross. So gross. And then the, like the way he's talking about Courtney and the way he talks about Lore, I was like, oh my God, you are such a mm-hmm. boy. Mm-hmm. Woo. Yeah. Also, 
Bobby's 14. Um, Bobby definitely portrayed many fatal flaws, including bringing back objects from Second Earth, which is where he lives, into um, Dinderum. And I'm like, buddy, Uncle Press told you, like, he told you, like, one thing. Like, he didn't tell you a lot of things, but he told you, don't bring stuff back from different territories. And you did. And you even coerced your friends to do it. And then Mark was like, oh, my God, Courtney, we should have stopped them. How come we didn't stop them? We knew this. We read the journals, too. And Courtney's like, because he's our friend. We don't know better. She summed it up. They're dumb kids. They don't know better, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, Bobby, if anything, the author portrayed a 14-year-old boy like gold. I cannot fault him. Bobby is a really well-written 14-year-old boy. Yeah. God, I don't like Bobby. <laughs> in this uh, and also St. Dane. St. Dane is just cringe, okay? For one, he carelessly murders people, which is upsetting. Like the homeless guy in the subway in New York. And the way he instituted the transfer where essentially you have the... The glaze. That took me a hot second. I'm like, shiny blue things. But yeah, the way he's like, oh, you have to get as much glaze as this person weighs. Oh, you didn't? That person's dead. Mm-hmm. What the heck, man? He is cold. Or instituting the um, the quig games where basically the quigs of Thunderum are giant bears. And he's trying to make these miners who are not equipped to fight because they don't have iron. They don't have weapons the fight giant bears like dude like what needless waste of life you are doing here so i mean that's what upset me the most and yeah no hmm, anything else Mm, no he's just evil the end and see all the stuff you mentioned about why you don't like saint dane like don't get me wrong i didn't like any of that that also is what makes him such a great villain because him killing the homeless guy in new york in the new york subway literally immediately just sets him up as this guy's for real he's a legit villain he's not gonna hold back just because bobby's a kid like he will actually kill him and that's kind of terrifying and i love that mikhail set saint dane up Mm -hmm. like that as such a legit villain from the start i think that's really cool because a lot of our authors aren't brave enough to do that okay so i hated bobby um I, I know you did. I knew you did. You told me you did. Still makes me laugh when you say it, okay? Bobby is the absolute worst. He's a 14-year-old boy. He is a very well-written 14-year-old boy, but he is terrible. Uh, I think the quote for me that summed him up the best was, I don't know these people, I shouted. I don't care about them. I care about me. I care about getting me home. Just like that right there. That is what Bobby is for most of this book. And I hate it so much because he's so self-centered. He is such a brat. He's He doesn't pay attention when his uncle tries to tell him stuff. He's so focused on me, 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 me. And I'm like, yes, that is a very 14-year-old boy. But by God, that is so obnoxious. <sighs> so reasons this book is my least favorite because... This is Bobby in his peak me, me, me phase. He gets better in the second book. He's better in the second book. And he's great by the third book. 
<sighs> okay. I like Uncle Press as a character, but he is one of my least favorite characters. And hear me out. I think he's really cool. But he did an absolute Titanic meets the iceberg job of actually preparing Bobby for literally anything. Like, sure, he showed up and he took him, like, skydiving and skiing and all on these crazy adventures. Great. That's cool. But he also didn't, like, give him any legit information that he would need until they were basically too late to give him any information. Like, he didn't give him warnings. He just like threw Bobby into the deep end and left him to flounder. And I know that wasn't his intention because he got captured and everything. But at the same time, you could have gotten a car instead of a motorcycle. So you could have talked to him on the way to the flume and explained something. You could have been telling him stories about these other worlds and acting, acting like they were fairy tales throughout the years so that he would have had some knowledge basis at least. Like, you didn't do anything. You literally didn't do anything. And that just absolutely drives me insane. Because, like, if I was in Press's shoes, sure, I would have taken on adventures to make sure that he knew how to do all these things that he would probably need to do in the future. But I also would have been telling him stories about, hey, there's this medieval world, and there's these different groups of people, and one of them rules over the other, and the one is the miners, and the others are the royals. Like, I would have been telling him this stuff in the form of stories, because obviously he wouldn't have believed it right then, but I still would have been giving him information. Wow, you sound way too logical. How dare you put logic into this book? (laughs) I know. Putting way too much thought and logic into this, and you I know have that. put all of the logic. Oh, I can't help it. I want so badly because, okay, because reading through these books the first time, I loved Uncle Press. He was so cool. He was such a great character. Reading through it as a thirty-two-year-old, I'm just like, for the love of God, Press, you didn't think anything through. He did not. You suck as an adult. Um, I think this is the fatal flaw that we see in adults in young adult novels. This is the same thing we see with our good friend Dumbledore mm-hmm. in that one book series. Remember that? Yep. Yep. So, yeah. Am I surprised? No. I feel like I feel like that's something that happens a lot in these books where the the adults are dumbed down. Mm, they adults don't get the information that they think the kids need because they think they're protecting them even though they're not yeah and it just happens and I really hate that it happens that way you know yeah I feel like in a lot of middle grade and YA there's just like this trope of the adults can't be as smart as the main characters who are you Mm -hmm. know middle schoolers and teenagers because otherwise there would be nothing for the main characters to solve which I get but it still drives me nuts yeah I I agree with that that is something if I was going to write I wouldn't if I was going to write YA that's something I would do better and I feel like with the Y well that's middle grade we don't read a lot of middle grade we reread I would say more 
high school up, like 16 plus at this point when we pick out our YA books. You feel that way? Yeah, I think so. I still like to dip my toe into middle grade occasionally, but for the most part, it's not really what I gravitate toward. It's just, yeah, I don't know. It's the lack of logic behind the way the adults think. Well, and I was going to say too, that I feel like that trend has changed. I felt like that trend was very true to itself in late 90s, early 2000s. But as we got into like 2010, for somehow adults in books, not that they got smarter, the author somehow were like, you know what? Maybe we should stop making adults as dumb. And I feel like we don't see that as much in brand new novels. Do you feel that way? Yeah, I think so. I feel like that was a trend when these came out. Yeah. And the other thing that kills me is that if press had prepared him more, I feel like Bobby would have been far less bratty and self-centered because Mm -hmm. if he'd had more information for a longer time period, he probably would have gone, you know, this all sounds really familiar. A lot like that story that uncle press told me years ago. And huh, I guess it wasn't a story. But do you feel like then the suspension of disbelief would have been gone if we had gotten that like remember how absorbed we got in these books you know we tore through these books because we identified with the heroes because they were children like us with flaws who came out of social settings like you know and got thrust into these situations and they had to use their quick wit so they could survive okay but see i remember very distinctly not liking Bobby in this first book the first time I read it because I was so annoyed with how self-centered he was. I also very distinctly remember like hardcore cringing, not wanting to go on when it got to the plan that Bobby finally decided to put through that ended not well. And like, I remember those things very distinctly and not enjoying myself. Well, you also are full of logic and things. So that's true. It happened. That is true. Well, let's not put a lovely 20 minute rant like we like to do sometimes on these things and roll into favorite scenes. Abby, what were your favorite scenes? You've already alluded to them a little bit. Anything with Mark and Courtney because Mark is the best. And Yes. I really enjoy their investigation and watching them figure things out and reading Bobby's journals. And really, again, I've read this book for Mark. <laughs> He's what actually got me to read some of this book instead of just skim the whole way through. <laughs> so yeah, I love every time it cuts back to them. I also really loved when Lore called Bobby out for being a selfish brat. Osa dies so that Bobby can get away with Lore. And Bobby is still so focused on himself that Lore finally snaps and calls him out. And having been as frustrated with Bobby as I was up until that point, I was sitting there going, yes, Lore, thank God somebody finally said it. Tell him. (laughs) That was honestly a highlight for me. Just, God, somebody finally said it to his face. Right. (laughs) Wow. So rolling over to the things I highly enjoyed, one of them was 
basically the end of the book. I love what I call the Indiana Jones scene where they're riding in the cart and all the tacks exploding and there's fire everywhere. And there's a giant shark as well. That's coming out of the flume, right? Be- because St. Dane's like, here, have a freaking giant shark. And there's just, fu- and like, it's just like, basically hell has exploded because they had up at that point were cornered by St. Dane. And Bobby was like, Hmm, I'm going to throw this little bit of tack and make it spark because this entire vein here is full of tack dust and it's going to flip and explode. And oh boy, does it explode. And it's just a ridiculous action scene. It was so outrageous. I love outrageous things like that. And it really kind of sets the tone for the rest of the books of some of the adventures that are to come. Like that is like, one of the best scenes right there and i'm like yes and is this thank god is at the end because if i had not read that and read the epilogue i'd probably be like i don't really want to read more of these novels because bobby's dumb yeah that whole action sequence was amazing i did love that one i of course love when courtney defended mark always love when the girl comes through for the guy and she's like i don't think so andy you're dumb and she takes care of business that's my kind of gal. <laughs> and I put here, the best part of the book is definitely when the gang gets together with press and they take control of the turning point of the world. Like the moment that essentially press enters the picture and they're going into the Quig arena, everything finally is like, it was kind of dull leading up there. Like it's a pretty fast moving book. There's not a lot of standing around, but there's a lot of having to set up the world set up some of the backstory, set up some of the things that are be happening in the next books, like kind of like the larger world building and everything. So you're like kind of waiting for things to happen. Mm-hmm. And every book, every book is going to be action packed, which is what I love because every book's going to happen at what's called a turning point where a decision is essentially being made, whether this world's going to go into order or chaos, which reminds me of the Invisible Library series, which I highly enjoy as well. But very fun, full of action. There is no self-wallowing. And Bobby starts taking charge. He starts being the leader that he was meant to be. Mm -hmm. And of course, I had to add one more thing. I put when Fignus revealed that he was St. Dane, I was like, for one, I forgot that. And when like the moment Bobby basically kicks Fignus' skull, he's like, oh, that's that's the dead one like he sees the rings on the fingers he's like oh shoot oh shoot and then St. Dane's like "Mm, oh snap that's right I am I was the one supplying the miners with the tack and I'm just like oh yeah like I mean obviously I read these books like 20 years ago so I had no (laughs) idea just forgot about that part apparently loved it quite good one of the things I love about like one of the running things I love through this series is figuring out who St. Dane is in each world. Like, that's always so fun because his plans are always so well thought out that it's just like, I think this might be St. Dane, but am I right? We don't know. Yeah. All right, what about least favorite scenes? Will, Bobby, and a 14-year-old boy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's just really obnoxious. Like, <laughs> The level of annoyance I have for him probably is a little ridiculous. And I'm like, I need to calm down my opinion about this kid. He is a child. Yeah. 
And yeah, I hated um, Osa dying mm-hmm. just because like she gave her, she, you know, she gave her life for Bobby to live. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm like, but Bobby's dumb and you're not, don't do it. I know Bobby's not dumb. I know he grows up. I struggled. Okay. I struggled. I know. Ugh, that was one of mine too. Like I loved her character and it upset me that she didn't live longer. Just like, she was so good. She deserved so much better than to die for Bobby Pendragon. I know he gets better, but she deserved to see how much better he was before she died for him. <laughs> you know? Uh, I'd actually, I'd forgotten that she died in this book. I, I thought for some reason that she made it into the second. <sighs> and so having her die halfway through this book, I was just like, oh no, no. Forgot about that. I know. It was like, dang it. Let me tell you, reading this book was like either, oh, I forgot that, or oh yeah, yep, yeah, I remember that. Okay, we're good. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mentioned this earlier. The scene I hate the most, even before I reread this book, the sequence that I hate the most is Pendragon disregarding the rules and bringing all sorts of things from Second Earth into Denderon. I cringe so hard just thinking about it. Because it's breaking one of the fundamental rules that Pendragon knew about, but he does it anyway. I know. Because I remember the first time I read that entire sequence, I was just like, this is bad. This is going to end so badly. Why are you doing this? This is a bad idea. And then it ends horribly. And you're like, yeah, I knew this was a bad idea. It it didn't improve upon a second skimming. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) It was painful. Pendragon dumping himself and lure into the river what a moron <laughs> <laughs> not his shiny moment at all oh my god he's just it, it's so it's so pathetic it's like he was trying to be helpful but he did it at the worst time in the worst place it just like you don't know what's going on you know you don't know what's going on why are you jumping in to save somebody who's a badass warrior like she can't protect herself anyways like th- there was zero reason for him to have interfered in the first place, even if Alder had been a knight who was going to attack Lore. Just pit uh, dragon. <laughs> <laughs> I felt Lore's frustration with him when they got out of the river because she was telling him, "You idiot! That was the traveler from this world. What were you doing?" And Pendragon was like, Granted, she did not tell him. He had no idea there was a traveler for this world. So again, he kind of was ignorant, kind of was dumb. He acted in his best. This kid doesn't know anything, you know? I know, but he's so self-centered. He's not even asking questions, you know? I know. So I just, mm, frustrated me. And yeah, just like his complete self-absorption, wanting to go home rather than try to figure out why he's there. Like, every time that's brought up, mm, go take a nap. Like, mm-hmm. <sighs> so yeah. All right. Um, so what are your final thoughts on this book then? <laughs> this is not going to be the highest rated book I've ever read, let me tell you. <laughs> it's, it's not a one. It's not a two. It's a very solid three. It still deserves recommendation from me. But my recommendation will not be to my mom friends. It will not be to, like, my other book friends. It will be to like my nephew who is 11 or 12, not 10, mm-hmm. something around that era. 
that this for me is kind of like I'm buying books for a young kid, a young boy. I would buy them Hatchet, this book, and um, the C.S. Lewis sci-fi series. I love that series. Mm-hmm. Like, I think those are three great adventures for a 10-year-old boy. This is not an adventure for a 30-year-old mom. Uh, it's a solid start to a series. I love the epilogue. It gears you up to go. But it's so hard to get through. I'm, I'm so far away to identify with the 14-year-old boy that I am just like, Mo doesn't care. Mo doesn't care. I have to read Three Forces book is about Bobby, and I just don't care. But you know what? You know who's going to care? The adolescent boy is mm-hmm. going to care because they'll identify just fine with Bobby. No. Not Mo. Mo did not identify. Yeah, so I I definitely remember being annoyed with Bobby the first time I read this book, and it was age appropriate when I read this book the first time. Uh, getting older just made it worse. <laughs> it just getting older just increased my annoyance with Bobby. <laughs> Again, very well written, fourteen year old. Like when my boys get to be about eleven or so. I will be offering them this series if they're interested in it. Like it's one I would recommend for its intended age group because it's perfect for that. It really is. Yeah. If I was reading this for the first time today, I probably would have just DNF'd it honestly. Cause <laughs> that's the level of my annoyance with Bobby. Um, as it is, I would give it a three star just because I would recommend it to the correct age group. But for me, it is not a book that I will probably ever read again unless I am reading it with my children. I find that fair. I find that acceptable. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, if my boys want me to read it with them, I totally would. I would 100% read this book with them. But I would not pick it up for myself ever again. (laughs) And I didn't realize my feelings would be that way when we made this an option for our reread this year because I have so many positive memories and positive thoughts about the series as a whole that I genuinely forget how annoyed I get with Bobby in this first book. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Well guys, there you have it. The first book of the Pendragon series, our reread for the year. Remember last year we did Harry Potter and this year we're doing Pendragon. Guys. Yeah, I hope you listen to this whole episode. You don't need to read the book. Honestly, it's fine. You can read the next one. I'm pretty sure it was better. Pretty sure all the rest actually are pretty awesome. I, In fact, I know the last book was mind-blowing because I loved it. And if I'm wrong, well, you'll know in December if I was. So, guys, you all have a great one. We'll talk to you next week. Talk to you next week, guys. Bye. If you liked what you heard today and want to help us spread the book love, drop us a rating or review on the app you use. Or share the episode post on your preferred social media. Everything helps. You can also check out our Patreon for some awesome perks like access to our mini-series, a monthly guaranteed episode poll, and much more. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter under the name The Book Life Podcast. If you'd like to contact us directly, you can email us at thebooklifepodcast at gmail.com. The song is Theme for an Unmade Anime by C8 Benoit from their album Dominique. You can find them on Instagram at C underscore A underscore B-E-N-O-I-T. That's C-A-Benoit. 
and on Spotify under their name, Katie Benoit. Thanks for listening. Till next time.